Picture this. A nation is totally divided by politics, with political leaders spewing more hate and fear than ever before. There are different men who are claiming to be a leader, and they're accusing all the others of fraud. Families are being fractured and torn apart. People who have different skin color, they're fearful of others. The cost of food is going up. People are losing their jobs. That leads to food insecurity. And there's a war and a pandemic. I just described to you Galilee in the year 70 CE. I'll expand a little bit. There really is a war going on in Rome. Four different men have claimed to be emperor. And everyone's families are falling apart and they're fractured. And they don't know if they should lean into the people who are saying, let's resist and give in. Or lean into the people who are saying, let's revolt. And people of different skin colors and ethnicities are living in what they call mixed neighborhoods and villages. Because people of Jews and Gentiles are having to all live together in the same city. And it's the cost of olive oil that has gone up, causing people to lose their jobs and not have food. And it's in that culture and in that climate... And all of a sudden, some weird guy shows up out of nowhere and says, don't worry, I've got some good news. And that's where we land this second Sunday of Advent. Welcome to Chapel Roswell. My name is Marion. It is so good to be with you in person. If you're here, that's great. If you're live streaming, if you're listening on demand or even on a podcast, it's great to be with you. If you are listening, though, and you happen to hear little voices, it's because we have the youngest among us. And so we're really excited to have children and families with us. Here at Chapel Roswell for our Advent season, we decided to have a little bit of fun. And our Advent theme is Chapel Roswell's Christmas Staycation, which of course is a play on the great movie classic, Christmas Vacation. And so today, this second Sunday of Advent, we meet some weird guy that shows up out of nowhere We meet the weird guy that's just standing in line with all the family members looking at the beautiful exterior illumination. This is the weird guy that eats squirrels. He wears leisure suits and he says things no one wants to hear. And his name is Uncle Eddie. Today in our scripture, we have another weird guy. But this weird guy, he doesn't eat squirrels. He actually eats wild honey and locusts. And instead of leisure suits, he wears a leather belt around his waist. And he, too, says things that no one wants to hear. And his name is John. And we meet John in the gospel or the good news of Mark. We read the good news of Mark 
Last week, we read chapter 13, which is known as the Little Apocalypse, and we heard words of hope. Today, we're staying in that same good news text of the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to read chapter 1. We're going to the beginning of that good news, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and this is what it says. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. And were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's so many interesting parts of this scripture. And so if there's a word or phrase that sticks with you, write it down and spend time with it this week. For me, what's interesting is that John the Baptist, John the baptizer, he's introduced to us, not by his title, Not by his family name, not even where he's from. It's actually introduced to us by his function in the story. John the baptizer, he's the one that will baptize us. Another thing that's interesting is what John does immediately. John says, I am not the one you're waiting for. In the political climate of the day, it's interesting because everyone is looking for what's called a turnaround savior. Everyone is looking for the guy that's going to show up and say, don't worry, I'm here. I'm going to right all the wrongs. Everything's been terrible until I got here. So I'm here now. Everything's great. You don't need to worry about anything else. I'm all you need. It's a turnaround savior. Very rarely... Do you hear a newly elected official or appointed official stand up and say, wow, the guy before me was awesome. And I'm just going to keep on doing the awesome things he did. And I'm going to prepare you for the next guy who's going to be even better than me. You don't really hear that from elected officials or leaders But that's kind of the exact thing that John did. And because that's what John began to do, people from both sides of the aisles, people from both sides of the village and the countryside and the city, they all began to come and follow John for his teachings. And what did John say? John said, I am the one that was spoken of from the prophet Isaiah. I am a part of your past. And I am the one that is to baptize you today. I'm part of your present. 
And I am the one that is helping you prepare for the one who will come next. In a moment, John says, I am a part of your past and your present and your future. And John is inviting us to stand with him in our own past and present and future so that we may be honest about where we have been, where we are today, so we may be ready for what will be tomorrow. And the way we do that, John says, is through acts of repentance and confession. John tells us that it's time for us to turn away from all that is sinful, to turn away from all those things that have been tempting us and make a confession and turn back toward God. John is saying to us, it's time to do some cleaning. If you don't know me, you may not know that I'm organized. If you do know me, this makes a little bit of sense. I'm kind of an organized person, especially at my house. Everything at my house has a place. No children. Your shoes don't belong on the kitchen floor. <laughs> That's right. They belong on the shelf with the other shoes in the coat closet or wherever else your parents tell you to put your shoes. Everything in my house has a certain place. So I'm the one that's quick to put the dishes away after dinner. I'm the one that's quick to make up the bed in the morning. I'm the one that can't rest very well or go to sleep until everything is in its proper place. Am I going to be like that at your house? No, I promise I will not. Other people's homes are beautiful the exact way they are. It's just my house that has to look straight. I learned very quickly that was a newlywed that it is a different thing to be straight and to be clean. My husband and I, we got married in early summer. And I spent the next months in that home decorating for Christmas. What will I do for Christmas? I was so excited to just decorate our first home as husband and wife. Sure enough, the right day came. And I said, oh, Nathan, I'm so excited. I'm ready to go get our tree right now and decorate. He's like, we can't go get a tree. I was like, why not? He's like, the house is not ready for a tree. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you have to prepare the house to get ready for the tree. I was like, no, you don't. You just get in the car, you go pick out your tree, you stick it on the hood of the car, and then you put it in the living room. That's all you got to do. Well... My new husband, he wanted to figure out the exact path that the Christmas tree would need to make to get into the living room. He wanted to put towels in the hallway. And he wanted me to take things off the wall and figure out how to pad the corners so I don't chip up the paint and all the wood. After a little bit of a conversation... Our newlywed compromise was to only prepare the living room. I would spend time preparing the room with him. So he's like, okay, Marion, where do you want this tree? And I was like, I want it right there in that corner. You know, right where that chair is. 
So we had to move the chair. Well, of course, then we had to move the coffee table. And then we had to move the couch. And that's when it became very embarrassing because he and I had to look at each other and realize the house was really dirty. (laughs) And there was like dust bunnies in places. And it was one of those moments where, you know, Cheerios fall out of the couch and you can't remember the last time you bought the Cheerios. It was that like gross moment. And so we spent the entire day cleaning the house. And I'll be honest, it made decorating for Christmas later the next day so much better. That's the image of Advent that I offer you. John is telling us it's time to rearrange our priorities. It's time to reevaluate where we have put some things in our lives. It's time to pay attention to what our lives may look like on the outside, how straight they might look, when in reality there are things underneath that we need to take care of. John is telling us that this is our opportunity to be honest with our year and ask very difficult questions. Questions like, have you been faithful in your relationships this year? Are you more dependent upon a substance than you need to be? Are we listening more to political leaders or prophetic leaders? Are we waiting for a turnaround savior? Or are we really waiting for the real savior to come? The second Sunday of Advent is a time for us to walk in the desert with John. And what that means is this is our opportunity to apologize. We have to apologize this week. And I don't know, it might be that you have to apologize to a person. Could be that you have to apologize to God. Could be you have to apologize to yourself. And it could be that you have to apologize for something that you said or something you didn't say. Or maybe you have to apologize for something you did or something you didn't do. When we spend time apologizing, we're repenting, we're confessing. And when we spend good, intentional time in those acts, then we receive something, to quote Uncle Eddie, a gift that keeps on giving the whole year long. When we spend those moments, we receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And we can never have enough. That's the gift. No matter how many times we need it, we receive it. No no matter how many times we go to God in those acts, God is going to give us more grace upon more grace upon more grace. 
So picture this. A nation that is divided by political leaders. In a place where there is fear and hatred. In a place where people of different skin colors are afraid of the other. And people who are being fractured and torn apart because of war or pandemic or food shortage. Maybe we get to be the weird one. Maybe we get to be the one eating bread, drinking juice, being the one to go and proclaim to all on every side of the city and our neighborhood. I have some good news. Amen. There is a place that we come together, and that place is the table. And this table that we gather around, no matter how different we are, no matter our ethnicity, no matter our religion, no matter our political views, this is a table that is hosted by God. It's a table that all are welcome to go to, and it's a table that offers the one same thing, the grace of God. And so this is our opportunity now to have our first act of confession for the week and gather ourselves and our hearts around the table of Holy Communion. And so if you are watching, if you are listening, I invite you now to take an opportunity to run in the kitchen or run somewhere and grab whatever elements that you may have. If you are here in the chapel, then you have these beautiful communion cups. And these communion cups are a way for us to be socially distanced and a way for us to have communion in a contactless way. So if you look in your pews, you, will, or you should see a plate with these in them. I'm going to give you a minute and you can find one. If you don't find one, just raise your hand and one can be brought to you on a plate. But they should be enough around so that you can have one in your pew with people that you came with. And when the time comes, I want to make sure you know how to work these fun things. <laughs> okay, it's a little tricky. I have ruined a blouse or two doing it, so I'm going to teach you how to do this. And then we'll say our words in our prayer. Okay, there are two little flaps here. And the first one is clear. And you're going to have to remove the clear one first and take that delicious little wafer. And then when we're ready, you don't do this part now. Don't do this part now. When you're ready to drink, after you take the clear wrapper and you get your cute little bread, the delicious wafer off, then you're going to take the main and pull it back and drink the juice. So that's how you do this. If you make a mess, we're very sorry. We probably can help. But that is how you work these. And so now I do 
remind us that together we are gathering around this table and even though there are a few of us here, they are many. There are people all over the world who are claiming this meal in the name of the one that we claim it in. And so we stand before this table and before these elements now knowing that we believe in the Messiah who is yet to come. And we wait for him with hopeful and expectant hearts, knowing that whatever we bring to this table, our Lord and Savior hears us. And it is in that spirit where we remember the night where Jesus gathered And where there were a few that night, there were so many. And on that night, he took bread, and he gave thanks to God, and he broke the bread, and he gave it to the friends, to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, Jesus took the cup, and he gave thanks to God, gave it to his friends, the disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So drink it as often as you would in remembrance of me. And now pray with me. Gracious and holy Lord, we offer ourselves now as a living sacrifice for you. And we offer ourselves with praise and thanksgiving for all that you have done for us this year. So pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. And make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ. And it's by your Spirit we ask that you make us one with Christ, one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at that heavenly banquet. And Lord, be with us in our own needs and in our own ways of confession so that we may be honest, honest with you and for any part of us that cannot speak the truth. May your spirit that lives within us do it on our behalf. May you hear our direct words and our direct thoughts, but may you too hear the thoughts of the spirit that lives in us. Whatever it is, Lord, that's been hurting, help us. Whatever it is, Lord, that's been calling us, help us answer. And whatever it is that we need to lean into, Lord, may we hear that voice the loudest send us into any place that you would have us be and may we be your agents and those people screaming out your name for all to hear so that someone else will be found by you we know you hear us but we want you to know that we ask for you to connect us may that spirit that lives in each one of us May it be a cord around us that unites us so that together as your community of believers, we may be bold and strong and courageous. And Lord, while we 
continue to put things in their right places. May we remember to hear you tell us more about where they really should go. Be with all of the needs, all of the wants, and all of the prayers. Anoint each one of us now in this space and each one that hears so that we may be made good for you. We pray all of these things, Lord, with confidence of the children of God, saying these words of the Lord's prayer that we know. They are printed in our hearts and on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now... May you take, eat, and drink, and know the love and forgiveness and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body of life and the cup of salvation offered for you this day and every day. Amen. As you finish communion, you may return your beautiful cup to the plate, or you may hold it. There's a trash can as you leave. It's up to you. Do whatever is comfortable for you. But I hope you were able to witness and experience the same grace that I was able to experience, and it was a joy to watch you all have communion and be able to feed and help the youngest enjoy communion as well. I would remind us, too, that in addition to responding with communion, we respond with our prayers and our presence and our gifts and our service and our witness. And part of that is our ways to give. And I want to make sure you know how to do that. You can look on the screen. These are the ways that you can give to the life and ministry of our campus through Chapel Roswell. We also have baskets if you want to... um, Leave your gift in those baskets as you walk out. But these are the ways that you can give and be a part of the programming and ministries of our campus.